Don't answer the fool according to his foolishness. Answer the fool according to his foolishness. This is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. And it almost seems like two sentences that are perfectly opposed to each other are immediately adjacent to one another. We're going to focus on these two verses for this week's devotions because they carry tremendously important implications for how we practice apologetics. This is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. When it comes to a Christian worldview, in debate on any given matter with another worldview, one worldview, the Christian worldview, is built upon the authoritative source for truth in the world. The other one is based on something less, no matter how esteemed it may be in academic circles or how large its followership may be. It's always the Word of God versus something less than the Word of God. So when you consider engaging the fool, how do you answer him? Because he's looking at the matter at hand, answering the question that's been asked, or even making an accusation on some grounds that is presuppositionally flawed. Let's start with the word fool. Richard Dawkins comes after Christianity for this. I've, I've, I've heard him give his well-rehearsed sound bite uh, at, at conferences and events when someone will come up and ask this question and it'll be like tossing a softball to him because he's just got it so well rehearsed and he's refined it and changed it over the years. That to call someone a fool in the Gospel of Matthew was made someone worthy of the fires of hell. When someone would come up and, and quote to him this theme that appears multiple times throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. All right, this is Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, and then quoted in Matthew by Richard Dawkins is, if anyone says to his brother, Raka, or calls him a fool, he is in danger of the fires of hell. Richard Dawkins is taking a Hebrew word and he's forcing it into the Greek. He's also misinterpreting what the Sermon on the Mount is. I think that is, Matthew 5 through 7, is the most misunderstood passage of the entire Bible by atheists to attempt to interpret it. To call someone a fool means, in the Hebrew sense, you have a spiritual condition where you don't know where your wisdom comes from. It's not insulting someone's intelligence. It's a spiritual affliction. You have no logos, if you were with us in our study of the Gospel of John. You don't have a source of truth. You don't have a basis for your life spiritually. You are then a fool in the Hebrew sense. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, what Jesus is teaching is that it's not enough not to murder someone. If you, if you have hatred in your heart for them, you're guilty of murder. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which in the original Greek sense likely would have been interpreted as a, as a, as a profanity, is in danger of the fires of hell. Right, meaning it's not enough just to not murder. Every one of us has to have righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees or will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, take the Sermon on the Mount past where Richard Dawkins quoted from it, go all the way to the end, and you'll see the original point. You gotta be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Like, unless you're sinless, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. If you, read the, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it should end with you feeling royally bummed out or you didn't understand it at all. The Sermon on the Mount's purpose was to establish the necessity for the coming crucifixion. And for that purpose, it is perfect. It even ends with the fulfillment of how it opens. With the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you, are, if you get the Sermon on the Mount, you are indeed poor in spirit. You are then demonstrating this deep-set need for a Savior. And that's how Jesus then sets up this pivot from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. You've heard it said this, but I tell you that. That's the Sermon on the Mount. This is totally different. Answer the fool, according to his folly, begins with addressing they don't have an authoritative basis for morality. It is impossible to be good without God. Self-generating universes don't come with moral codes. If you and I are just pieces of space dust that have been animated, and one clump of space dust kills another sentient clump of space dust, there's no morality. There's nothing wrong with it. But the thing is, we know there is something wrong with it. How do we know that? I know it because I believe the word of God is true and God gave a command against murder. But the atheist who rejects the word of God, in the spiritual sense, the fool has no answer and will never have an answer. So you can point to the void that is beneath someone's feet when they make moral assertions because they are then, in the Hebrew sense, a fool. And you're not insulting their intelligence. You're showing how you don't actually have the moral basis to make that assertion. You don't know where morality came from. You don't know where laws come from. You don't know where goodness itself comes from. When you answer the fool, I wanna start with that word fool, it's not just, it's not calling somebody stupid. It's saying that they don't have a basis upon which to make moral judgments. Right? That's gonna be pivotal for applying these two seemingly contradictory, though perfectly complementary verses throughout the week. Look at the void beneath their feet. They have several big important questions to answer before they get to weigh in on matters of morality. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would show us the foolishness of the fools. God, that we would see people borrowing from your word while they try to condemn it. I pray that you give us the boldness to say it. I pray that you would give us gentleness and respect as we say it. And I pray that every one of us would clear our consciences before you, before we even engage in this discussion. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that we used to be fools, but now we're not. It's all because we follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.